0: Well, today, we, uh, we're in a passage in uh, the book of Acts uh, that is, uh, you know, it's a small passage. Uh, and of course, in, in our little messianic world, it's, I think it's probably a pretty big deal. But generally speaking, in the study of Acts, it's just another little interesting anecdotal speech. But it really uh, isn't. It is, uh, it's profound. To give it a little context... Uh, You know, in chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. They're arrested by the Sadducees. That's kind of an important little point here. If you go back uh, to uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, you know, what is? I feel like now I'm going to go back to chapter 3. I have to stop that. Okay. Uh, That in chapter 4, what has happened is, the man who was uh, lame is, uh, you know, Peter does this great miracle, and he's coming completely well, Right? And the people can't get over it. It, it, You know, it's uh, something that uh, uh, they needed some understanding. So Peter gives his second major address, right? And we might think, well, that was... Boy, Peter just hit it out of the ballpark two times in a row. What does he get for it? He gets arrested, okay? Uh, And uh, although many people were coming to believe... But he gets arrested. Now it says in chapter 4 and verse 1, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them. And, and we actually mentioned this, uh, I think, the last time. I think it was the last time. that The Sadducees, remember, they were uh, the priests. They were the power. They were uh, wealthy. They collaborated on a certain level. Uh, to keep the peace with the Romans, right? They didn't believe in uh, uh, in the resurrection. They didn't believe in, in angels, uh, but they they functioned in uh, in the in the leadership, and they were particularly uh, uh, they were particularly upset uh, not only with Yeshua because even when you go back to the Gospels and you read carefully about the arrest of Yeshua and the, you know, the overnight uh, uh, Saturday night special there, uh, you know, uh, the uh, trial uh, by the Sanhedrin, that the Sadducees, the high priests, are the ones who are doing the examining. Uh, you do read the word elders and you read the word scribes also, but it is primarily what's, who's the, the train that's, uh, you know, driving this, is are the Sadducees. Very, very important. And Luke really brings this out uh, in Acts. Uh, And so he says that in chapter four, in verse one, well, then they're released with the admonition never to speak about these things again. Right. And Peter says, well, we have to obey God rather than man. So they continue uh, and they pray for boldness, uh, that God would give them boldness, not that God would hide them and that nothing would ever happen to them but that they pray for boldness, okay? Then they go out there preaching again at the temple. They don't go, like, to some kind of remote place. They're right there uh, where everybody can hear them and see them, right? Then they're arrested again by the Sadducees, okay? Uh, And now this time, an angel breaks them out of jail and commands them to continue preaching at the temple. Then they're discovered and arrested again, okay? Uh, and, uh, and, and again, who is the driving force? The Sadducees. As we, as we saw uh, the, uh, you know, the last time, that uh, as it says in 517, but the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy, and they laid hands on the apostles they didn't exactly lay their hands on them like we just did here. Uh, they basically laid their hands on them and put them in, in, in jail. Okay? Uh, and, and so uh, clearly what Luke is bringing out here is that, boy, the Sadducees are very uh, feel very threatened by the, uh, by the apostles. And we talked about that the last time, that jealousy blinded them. Uh, they saw two things. They saw that, wow, you know, they have some kind of power, like spiritual power, you know, and people are really enamored by them and paying attention to them. So they were threatened by that. And then just the fact that so many people in Jerusalem were, were beginning to believe this. And we talked also about that last time, that uh, it, it was no small little group of people uh, that were uh, of Jews who were believing in Yeshua, lots of Jewish people. Lots of Jewish people were believing in Yeshua. When John says, he came unto his own, but his own received him not, that does not mean that nobody paid attention to him, nobody believed him, just a few outsiders. No, it meant that the establishment basically rejected the Messiah. But the Am Haaretz, the people of the land, uh, was a groundswell uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. And that is something very important for us to remember. That, and that's something that Luke is bringing out. Uh, that in Jerusalem, many Jewish people uh, were believing uh, in Yeshua. So now, uh, this third time when they're arrested and they're brought in, uh, the uh, you know Peter gives uh, again uh, an explanation. Uh, he gives a little speech in uh, in in chapter. In chapter 5. And again, he talks about the same things. He says, uh, it says in verse 29 of chapter 5, but Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Yeshua, whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we're witnesses. We've seen it. We're witnesses of these things and so and and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. So this uh, incensed the uh, uh, uh the leaders, especially the uh the Sadducees. And I need to repeat it again because you hardly ever hear this. When Peter keeps saying, the one that you uh condemned or the one that you delivered up, the one you had put to death," he is not pointing his finger at them to say, You know, you, uh, in a condemning way, that's not his point. His point here is not condemning them. His point is to say to them, he's still alive. The one who you, you know who I'm talking about. He's always pointing to Yeshua. Always pointing to Yeshua. Not just, hey, how could you, hey, what's wrong with us? Or uh, why are you arresting us again? This is unfair. This is not right. Uh, You know, where's my attorney? Right? <laughs> anyway, but uh, uh, they, they just keep pointing to Yeshua, who is still alive. He makes this point over and over and over again. The one who you know, you, you know, you sent him to his death, but he's still alive, right? Uh, and then uh, he says, not only is he still alive, but he's at the right hand uh, uh, of God. And of course, that's a reminder of Psalm 110, which is very well known, which he already quoted in uh, an earlier speech. And then he says he's a prince, like the, you know, the prince of peace. He's a savior. Uh, uh, and he grants uh, repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. These are things that only God can do. And, and you know that's uh, I'm sure what they were thinking. He says, "And we are witnesses, you know." And this there's a throwback to chapter one. You are my witnesses, which is a, a throwback to Isaiah chapter forty-three. You are my witnesses, and so they are fulfilling the calling of Israel to be a witness of the reality of of God. And he and so they do so uh, in their understanding of, of Yeshua. And then, and so is the ruach haKodesh, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Now they 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 they're beside themselves. Okay, they they're blinded not only by jealousy but they're blinded by hatred. And now they want to kill him. They just want to kill him. Okay, and that's what it says. And so when they heard this in verse thirty-three, they were cut to the quick, and were intending to slay them. Now this uh, certainly uh, was not protocol. This uh, would not be something that uh, I, the Sanhedrin would uh, would um, uh, uh, adhere to. Uh, uh, normally, they're they they're breaking all of their uh, breaking all of their rules. And and it's interesting that with Yeshua they also lost their temper, but it was in the middle of the night. They didn't want people to know, and they they give him to uh, a pilot here. It is not in the middle of the night, uh, and uh, they see that the power of the one who they thought was dead is still alive, uh, and people, are, they, they can't stop this movement. Something is happening, and they, they can't stop it. And so they don't know what to do other than to kill them. All right, now in verse 34. But a certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, Respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. Okay, so this uh, I will say that when I was considering the uh, claims of Yeshua, this passage was absolutely influential. Not because of the story, but only because it's mentioning this person who I knew of because. He is like in the top five uh, ancient rabbis of all time. I mean, he's right up there with like, uh, you know, I think for many of us, they're all like a flat earth. Like they all lived at the same moment. But you have to understand this Gamaliel is the grandson of Hillel. Okay, you know, Hillel, Hillel, one of the leading Pharisees. Right. Okay, The grandson of, of Hillel. Now, sometimes in the rabbinic literature, he gets confused with his grandson, okay, who's also a very famous Gamliel, okay. But this one, he's called Rabban Gamliel, uh, and uh, 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 very well known in rabbinic literature, memorialized forever in rabbinic uh, writings. Uh, we're not always sure whether he continued the school of Hillel. Or if he was just similar to Hillel, but he had his own school. Now, the, the reason that uh, probably he had his own school or his own followers is because we don't read him being the uh, Hillel, Gamaliel the Hillelite. It's like people who were students of Gamaliel were students of Gamaliel, not, uh, we don't read about them being students of Hillel. But he was very similar in his demeanor, very similar. Uh, you know, in his teaching, and and uh, and venerated a venerated uh, rabbi. In fact, uh, we read uh, in the literature that when he died, it was said the glory of the Torah ceased, and purity and separateness died. He was that uh, revered, uh, you know, and that uh, and that well known. Uh, you know, we also know that Paul was a student of Gamaliel. Isn't that interesting? Uh, In Acts uh, chapter 22, uh, Paul says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilia, but brought up in this city, speaking of uh, Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are today. Now it's interesting. There's a man, and some of you uh, may recognize his name. His name is David Flusser. David Flusser was uh, a um, a Jewish New Testament scholar of uh, of another generation, uh, and uh, he contended that uh, Paul he that he held to a you know a very high moral uh, a very high moral standard, a very high ethical standard. Now what he says is is that he got that not from Yeshua but from Gamliel, his teacher isn't that interesting uh, not that, you know do, do with that what you what you wish the of course we know uh, you know he got it from Yeshua he was uh, everything was about Yeshua but what's fascinating is is that when you uh, have an opportunity to study uh, Hillel because see much more is written about his writings uh, Hillel's writings than God. we read a lot of opinions of Gamaliel but But this is Gamaliel, the elder who lived in the first century and not the one who lived, you know, uh, later on. Uh, So we don't read as much of his writings as we do about Hillel. And what's interesting is, is that uh, uh, there doesn't seem to be to this Jewish New Testament scholar a big difference uh, between Gamaliel and Yeshua and Hillel. That they kind of, you know, that, that their teachings were all very, very similar. Uh, and that is very important for us in understanding Yeshua, that uh, the way Yeshua, Yeshua did not teach a new ethic or a new morality. He, he didn't. He didn't come to uh, start a new uh, belief system. Uh, no, uh, this was part of the Jewish world. And while uh, Yeshua's teaching was unique, especially because he, he taught by his own authority. He taught by his own authority. That is what was amazing that he didn't teach in the name of another rabbi. But a lot of what he taught, if uh, you know—you look at uh, portions of, of the rabbinic literature, you'll see very similar uh, kinds of ethical and moral uh, uh, teachings. And so it is just very interesting here uh, that Gamliel stands up. This one who is venerated in the Jewish world, this one, uh, whom uh, Paul was a student of, uh, he gets up and he, he saves the life of uh, Peter and John. Okay? Uh, and, and, uh, and so it's very interesting. Now, when I read this, I had a question. And uh, there is no perfect answer to this question, but I'll be quite honest with you. Sometimes, you know, uh, when, uh, when any of us read, uh, read a text like this, a question might come up as if we were in a Bible study. And I always hear like people's voices in Bible studies, like, you know, or my own. And I think that if I have this question, I'll bet other people must have this question, right? And so here's the question that I had about this. This is not that long after the resurrection of Yeshua, after the death and resurrection of Yeshua, right? It's a couple of months later, right? So here's the question. When the Sanhedrin met, and delivered up Yeshua to uh, Pilate. Where was Gamaliel then? Isn't that an interesting question? I thought so. So, of course, very rarely does... I, I couldn't find anything of anybody actually bringing it up, uh, you know, except I, I I accept in a kind of a tangential kind of, a kind of way. But this is uh, what I would suggest about that. That just like here with the apostles, when the trial of Yeshua happened, the the people driving this train were the Sadducees, were the priests and the high priest. And we read that even in the arrest of Yeshua, right? And um, um, we read about other people, one in particular, another Pharisee, who was uh, on the uh, Sanhedrin, who was quite interested in in Yeshua, and that was Nicodemus. And we read, you know, in the Gospel of uh, John, the third chapter, that uh, Nicodemus goes so far uh, as to say this, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here is a Pharisee. Here is a, a, someone who has the courage, even though it's at night, uh, to come and speak to Yeshua. So what it tells us is, is that when uh, this uh, trial of Yeshua was taking place, you had, you had dissenters. But the point of the trial there is that Yeshua gets delivered up. We don't read about the individual voices We don't read the trial documents. We don't read the trial transcript, you know, uh, about what took place. But clearly there were dissenters. Now, Nicodemus, he was, um, I'm going to, I will suggest, someone that embraced Yeshua uh, uh, to a certain uh, degree. There was Joseph, remember Joseph of Arimathea as well. The thing about Gamaliel is, Gamaliel is like this really famous, Sage of Israel. Now, I would not uh, suggest that because he says these words, he's embracing Yeshua. I think that he probably uh, found the apostles to be kind of a uh, distraction or a you know uh, or problematic. But one thing about if you've ever read rabbinic literature, if you've ever read the Mishnah or the Talmud, do process. Is a huge, is huge due process. Okay? That's why you read so much minutiae uh, about uh, what to do when someone, you know, takes your cow or, or something. I mean, pages and pages of opinion because they, they try to think of every conceivable uh, uh, situation where this might take place and, and, and due process. Very important that, for example, if someone is accused of uh, a capital punishment, you know how many people have to agree? 23 people have to agree that, okay, this person uh, should be executed. You know, that's a lot of people. Okay. So uh, the the, the point is, is Gamliel, I'm going to suggest, is standing up for some due process here. Don't just go and kill them. This is wrong. It's wrong. And so he says something very uh, interesting. So first he says, isn't it interesting the first thing he says? Remove them from the room. Take take them out of the room. This is a level-headed, mature person who is not uh, shooting from the hip. And while he may have certainly disagreed with the apostles' teaching, he believed in doing things the right way. This tells us something about the Pharisees, uh, very importantly. Okay, all right. Now, I, uh, so they leave the room. All right. Oop, I'm there in chapter twenty-two. Wait a minute. Okay. Then it says here in verse thirty-five, and he said to them, "Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. Like, be careful. For some time ago, Theudas rose up." Claiming to be somebody. Don't you love that? Claiming to be somebody. And a group of about four hundred men joined up with him, and he was slain, and all who followed him were dispersed, and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census. This is not Judas Iscariot, okay? This is somebody else. Uh, After this uh, after this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. Now, what's interesting about these two examples is that they were not claiming to be the, the Messiah. They were uh, people who rose up uh, and led political revolts uh, against the Romans, uh, mostly having to do with having to pay uh, taxes uh, to the Romans. This Theudas, you know, I, I, there's something written about a theudis that Josephus writes about, but nobody knows if it was the same one. And that's a problem that, you know, the only, only thing that we know is what's written down. You know, there's nothing word of mouth. Uh, we don't know anyone by reputation from uh, that period of time, right? It all has to be written down. And so we always have to be careful when a name is used to know that it's the same person you know, and, and that, that this is what's actually being spoken of. So there's some dispute. But clearly, one thing that is not in dispute is that these were political uh, revolts, political uh, uh, rebellions. And I think it's kind of interesting that, uh, uh, that um, uh, Gamliel says, remember those guys? You know, people started following them, but it came to nothing, okay? Here, he himself sees, okay, You know, on the ground, you have people leading a rebellion because this is not the norm. They're preaching uh, something very radical about a radical person, Yeshua, okay? But here, it's interesting, he says there may be something to this. They're not like these political rebellions, so we better be careful See, he's not just saying, uh, you know, they didn't last and so they were not of God. He's saying there's something different about this and we need to be careful. Now, maybe it was, uh, the miracles, you know, that were taking place. And remember what echo, what may be echoing in, uh, in, um, uh, Gamaliel's mind are again the words of, uh, Nicodemus, whom he knew. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So there was something unique about, uh, uh, about Yeshua and therefore about the apostles. Now, it could be that they miraculously had just gotten out of prison, out of the jail. It could be the healing of the, the man who was born lame, that they all knew. It could be the pouring out of the Ruach. It could be all of it, the signs and wonders that were taking place. And Gamaliel is saying, wait a minute. See, the Sadducees were blinded by their jealousy. Gamaliel was not blinded by jealousy. This great Jewish sage said, who knows? Maybe there's something to this. And when I was considering the claims of the Messiah, I got it. This was pretty important, you know, that, wow, you know, he was the last person I expected to find here. Now, I didn't expect to find Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but you know, they're, Bi- they're, they're Bible people. They're, they're Torah people. Golly, I was like rabbinic, you know, this is uh, uh, unheard of in the New Testament, you know, what's he doing here? Unbelievable. Uh, and, uh, and so I would suggest that this is a great little passage to share uh, if you have the opportunity to have a conversation about Yeshua uh, with a Jewish person. Say, well, you know you know who Gamaliel is, you know? Now, if uh, they went to Hebrew school, they, they might know who he is. If they don't know, you say, oh, he was, uh, he was the grandson of Hillel. They're going to know who he was. And, and Just about all Jewish people know who he was, right? And say, you know... He gave this some consideration. Just leave it there. That, that uh, will give people food for thought, as it did me. Okay, okay. so uh, he mentions these political revolts. And now he says, but this is different. He says, and so in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. That is, that is amazing. That is just amazing that he says that. Stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan, our action should be of men. It will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. That is an amazing statement for him to make. Remember, he was a Pharisee. And he was a real famous Pharisee. He was like top of the line Pharisee. Okay? So the next time anybody tells you, oh, those Pharisees and all the bad things they did, turn to this passage. Here's exhibit A, Pharisee, okay? Yes, Yeshua, uh, Yeshua did indeed uh, say, all, you know, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, because he was, the, he was closest to them, uh, you know, and, uh, and pointing out all of their uh, legalistic tendencies. But he doesn't speak to the Essenes and he's not speaking to the Zealots, and he's not speaking to the Sadducees. He's talking to the Pharisees. These are the people he was hanging out with. These are the people Yeshua was hanging out with. Okay. All right. Uh, Now, even among, by the way, even among the Pharisees, you had seven or eight different branches. It gets kind of complicated. So you may be familiar. There were two very famous branches, right? The Hillelites and the Shamites. Among the Pharisees. Among the Pharisees, you had people like Hillel, who were gentler, uh, you know, who uh, was not legalistic, uh, understood the hearts of people, that kind of thing. And then you had this other person, this other rabbi, his name was Shammai, who was very legalistic, very tough, very hard, right? Uh, and, uh, and so it's very important to understand that Gamaliel, Hillel, Yeshua kind of out of the same egg when it comes to being a teacher of Israel, all right? Yeshua was different because he's the Lord, he's the Messiah, but still coming out of that same place, right? And so he says to them, you know, you want to, so to speak, you want to be on the right side of history on this one, right? Uh, That if they are of God, you know, we better be careful. So he's not sure, right? So it says, you better let them go. So this is really quite a testimony. Uh, and the reason that he could say that is, is because this movement, this messianic movement, was a movement among Jews in the Jewish world. You know? And, uh, and, uh, and, and so what a testimony uh, uh, that was. And how important, you know, it is, for us as well as a Messianic Jewish community to, to think to ourselves, wow, you know, uh, wouldn't it be wonderful if the Jewish world could see uh, uh, the Messianic Jewish movement and say, wow, this is, a, this is something that's happening in our midst. And may, maybe it's of God. But sadly, the message of the Messiah has been so twisted over 28 and a half hundred years or so, 2,900 years, that we have our work cut out for us to give a testimony to the Jewish world that says, well, this is a movement that maybe it's of God, that God is at work among us, not among them, you know, but among us, as a, you know, as a Jewish believer from another few generations ago said, I believe that Yeshua is the Messiah not in spite of being Jewish, but because I'm Jewish. Maybe you've heard me say that before. That was someone by the name of David Baron, who lived oh, around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, that is the kind of testimony that Gamaliel has received from the, uh, from the apostles. And by the way, his rationale here is in the pirkei avot. His rationale of this is from God, it'll last. If it's not, it will die out. In Pirkei Avot, which is part of the Talmud, which is sort of like proverbial statements, rabbinic proverbial statements, it says in Avot 411, any gathering which is for the sake of heaven is going to endure, and any which is not for the sake of heaven is not going to endure. So Gamaliel, before it was all written out, he's being very rabbinic about this. He's being very rabbinic in about how the, uh, how the Sanhedrin should treat Peter and John, you see. And so when we read these, uh, these opening chapters of Acts, we might say, wait a minute, this is way too Jewish. You know, how could, uh, how could this be? So what we're seeing is the intra-Jewish discussion about Yeshua. The intra-Jewish discussion that we thought he was dead. These guys are preaching that he rose and that he's ascended to Hashem and that he poured out the Ruach. He's healing people, and people are following them? Whoa, maybe there is something to it. Because another thing that Luke is bringing out is that this is an an unstoppable movement. They've tried everything, but it is an unstoppable movement, right? I think another thing that it says to us is that these movements that that, uh, Gamaliel's talking about that died out, there are political movements, okay? And and uh, uh, and while he, he puts the apostles in the same category of radical and rebellion, the movement that's not going to die out is not a political movement. The movement that's not going to die out, the one where we should have our passions at, is the Yeshua movement, okay? The Yeshua movement. When we put our hope in... Whether Whoever it may be or whatever it may be, political movements and put all of our energies into all that. Like Gamaliel says, these things come and go. But what's not going to come and go is the Yeshua movement. You know, and we would say, of course, he's the king, right? He is the overthrower, ultimately, of the Romans. And it starts from the inside out. And I hope that that's where our passions lie as well, just like the Apostles. Just like, you know, uh, those who followed Yeshua. Another story for another day, you know, is to talk about the background of some of the apostles. Because some of them were indeed zealots. That would be right-wing extremists in our uh, parlance today. But, but they put all their eggs in the Yeshua basket. And God transformed them in their passions, uh, you know, to be followers of, of him. As Daniel tells us very clearly, empires come and empires go, but the one that's going to last forever is the kingdom of God. Uh, And that's what you see. That that is what, in a way, that is what Gamaliel is saying, that those political revolts came and went. Maybe this one is leading to the Alam Haba. Maybe this one is the one, you know? And indeed, he was right. He was right. So what's the end of the story? since this is not a verse-by-verse Bible study on Acts, although it kind of is. Uh, he says, there's so much more to say here. Uh, he says, and they took his advice. That in and of itself is really interesting. That the Sanhedrin, that the Sadducees, took his advice. It tells you how much, uh, how much capital Gamaliel had. It uh, tells you how uh, powerful his word was, even though he was not a Sadducee even though he was not a priest, okay? So they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. They flogged them. That's another really interesting thing, that uh, it was probably 39, just like Paul got. That's also, by the way, you know, uh, in, the, in, in the Talmud, this is what you do with people that are sinners and like apostates, not considered non-Jews. If they were considered non-Jews, they would have just like gotten rid of them, like kicked them out. But as Jews, they received, the flogging was according to law, so to speak. Okay, this was, in other words, we're not going to kill them. Okay, we're going to whip them because that's what we do with Jewish people who break the law. I mean, that's reducing it, you know, under certain circumstances. Okay, uh, and, uh, and, and order them to speak no more in the name of Yeshua. And then they release them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, afraid of what was going to happen to them, and they spoke no more about this man. No, that's not what it says, right? So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing. They had just been whipped, okay? Just remember that. They would just been whipped, okay? But they were alive. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow, you know, in that world, if you, by being whipped and shamed, that was, that was a horrific thing to have happen to you, you know? Shame and honor were really what made people's lives uh, be worth living or not. Shame and honor. So here, they're publicly shamed. Do they go away saying, "Oh Lord, heal my, heal us"? You know, we've been shamed for your sake, and now they're like rejoicing. We have been counted worthy to suffer like Yeshua to enter into, as Paul called it later on, the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, uh, and so they're rejoicing that they that they they are so focused on Yeshua and that he is the answer to everything that everything is worth it if they can get his name out there and tell the story of the Messiah. That is how focused they were on Yeshua. They didn't have time for other things. They didn't have time for other movements, other concepts, other ideas. They were sold out for Yeshua, and that's what Luke is telling us. Wow, this was the kind of tenacity, the kind of faith, the kind of trust. And think about Peter Before all this, running away and denying him. But no more, because now the Ruach had been poured out, right? And so uh, may we have that kind of trust, that kind of faith, that kind of determination, that kind of motivation, that kind of passion for Messiah. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Yeshua as the Messiah. They were not deterred. This was was not going to stop them. Nothing uh, was going to stop them. And God bore fruit by their boldness, by their courage. As a result of their courage, we have this confrontation with Gamaliel, who is forced, as a leader of Israel, who is forced to be confronted with this claim. And isn't it amazing that this venerated teacher of Israel says, Not only do we need to give them due process, but there may be something to it. Well, here we are all these centuries later. Yes, Gamaliel, there is indeed something to it. Yes, we're talking about you today, about this moment, in this context, about saying this, and we're still here because that hope is still true and is still there. This movement is the one that works. This movement is the one that changes lives. This movement is the one that we need to embrace to live an abundant life today and have hope for tomorrow. It is in this movement that we have indeed a living hope. Not Judas of Galilee, not the Judas, not any other political um, a movement of Israel or anywhere else. No. It is indeed the Yeshua movement. And isn't it a blessing that God has allowed you and I to have our eyes opened and our ears unstopped to hear this message and to receive this message of truth. And now we are called, the gauntlet has been handed to this generation of whatever generation you are, right? Uh, To move this history forward. And may we be emboldened by what we read here, that it, brings, uh, that it brings our own people to a confrontation with the truth. That, hey, we might give some kind of testimony where our people say, hey, maybe there's something to this thing. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you, God, for this great testimony of Gamaliel. <laughs> Who would have thunk it, as we say? Lord, thank you, God, uh, that the apostles did not run away. From controversy. They did not run away from uh, persecution. They did not run away from people not liking them. But they stayed right there in the temple environs, right there in the temple and kept preaching away. And what they communicated on every level, right or wrong, believe it or not, believe it, this is something happening inside of the Jewish world. And it caused even the great Gamaliel to be confronted with it. Lord, may we have that kind of testimony in the Jewish community. Lord, may we have that kind of message. May we be able to articulate it uh, the way Peter did. Uh, May we be able to demonstrate it the way the apostles did and receive whatever comes. But know that just as you bore fruit and thousands were believing, Lord, may you do that in our midst today. And I pray for every single one of us here today, Lord, that if we are maybe considering the claims of Messiah, follow the words of great Rabban Gamaliel that maybe, indeed, there's something to this. Let us not fight against the work of God, we pray in Messiah's name.